Alright, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to finish up our series through the Lord's Prayer this Sunday. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read together verse 9 through 15. We're only going to focus on a few verses. We're going to focus on verse 12 and verse 14 and 15. But we're going to read together out loud verse 9 through 15. If you're ready, say yes. All right. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 15. Let's read this together. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. When we think of civil rights leaders, we tend to think of, you know, the usual suspects, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and the likes of Malcolm X. But we don't tend to think of a person like Cesar Chavez. Cesar Chavez was a Mexican-American who co-founded the United Farm Workers Union. He was born in Arizona in 1927, and it wasn't until 1952 that he transitioned from literally working in the fields with his own hands to becoming a community organizer. He had a loud voice. He led more than some 15,000 in the United Farm Workers Union in their fight for justice, for better wages, or better treatment from growers in California and Florida. Uh, He's most popularly known for his assistance in the Filipino Great Strike, in which he rallied support all over the country and even, in some cases, the world. Uh, There was a film produced about Cesar Chavez's life, and uh, it was released early this year. Uh, There's a scene in the movie in which Cesar Chavez and a number of protesters are literally protesting in front of a popular field. They're, they're with these protesters. They've got signs. They've got the whole nine. And one of the growers is furious. This grower is, he's popped his lid. And so he gets in his truck and he drives in the middle of these protesters, knocking one of them to the ground. And the protesters, they've, they've been doing this nonviolent thing, but enough is enough. They begin to beat this guy. They snatch him out of the driver's side window of his car. They throw him to the ground. And they just begin to beat him over and over and over again. Cesar Chavez is in the midst of this. And he sees what's going on. And you know what he does? He literally throws his body on the guy that they were protesting against. He throws his body on him. And he yells to the other protesters, don't do this. Stop this. Get away from this man. Stop this. This is not what we're about. And you can imagine their response. The other protesters, they look at him. They look at Cesar Chavez with disgust. Because he has literally extended the F word to this guy. 
He's extended forgiveness. He's given this guy who they have literally spent hours and hours, their protest would last for over five years, they've been protesting against a guy like this grower, and you want to tell me you're going to throw your body in front of us to save this guy. He just ran his truck over one of us. Cesar Chavez extends forgiveness to this man. When we look at our text this morning, Jesus, in his blueprint to prayer, he teaches us on forgiveness. And the reason these men were so upset at Cesar Chavez is the same reason that many of, that Jesus has decided to put this in the Lord's prayer is because, get this, forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is a tough thing to do. When somebody turns their back on you, when somebody wrongs you, our natural inclination is to get back at them, right? To get even with them. And Jesus, here in the Lord's Prayer, is challenging us to give forgiveness. I want us to see two main ideas, and I know I've told you all this before, a good preacher has three main ideas, but this morning I only have two. Um, And I want us to see that they're very simple, yet they're difficult to grasp. We're going to see that we are desperately in need of forgiveness, and we're also going to see that we need to generously give forgiveness. I've titled this message, The F Word, but before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are the ultimate forgiver. Thank you, Father, that you've extended forgiveness to us. And I pray, God, that you would, by your word and by your spirit, convince us of our need to forgive. Help us, O Lord, to walk by your word, to walk in the spirit. Help us to heed to your word, to listen, to be obedient to your word. Father, move me aside. I pray that you would do work in our hearts, in our lives. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you would like to say and do this morning. Lord, I pray that you would allow me to decrease, that you may increase in this place. We need a word from you, O God. Speak to us, in Jesus' name, amen. So, we're finishing up the Lord's Prayer today in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've said, in general, that the the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached. And yes, we've said that it creates this standard that is too high for any of us to meet. Uh, that we see things in the Sermon on the Mount like, look, uh, if you sleep with another man's wife, you are guilty of adultery. But if you even look at a woman with lust, you are also guilty of adultery. Uh, If you murder another person, you are guilty. But if you even harbor anger in your heart against another person, you are guilty of murder. We see in the Sermon on the Mount, there is this standard that is too high for any of us to meet on our own. And it shows us the beauty and the deep need that we have for Jesus Christ. Um, We see that there is this deep standard that we could never meet. We saw in the Lord's Prayer that we aren't to use prayer so that others can think better of us. And we also saw that Jesus is instructing believers to acknowledge God before we run with our list of petitions and requests 
We're, we're to acknowledge His glory. We're, we're to acknowledge His majesty, His honor, and His greatness. We saw the beauty in the Lord's Prayer. See, Jesus shows us that He actually cares about what we need. That we can go before the God of the universe and that we can ask the God of the universe for what we want, um, not just for what we want, but also for what we need. And we can actually know that He cares about what we need. And last week we saw that there are very real evils that we need to pray against. Uh, We saw that we have a very real enemy whose main job description is to kill, steal, and destroy. And we saw that there is an evil in this world, and we saw that that we really have evil in our hearts as well. And Jesus tells us to pray against the temptation of evil. And today we'll see that we are desperately in need of forgiveness. You and I, right now, are desperately in need in need of forgiveness. Verse 12 says this, And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness is something every believer needs to pray for. The word forgive, it means this, to leave, means to divorce, to to cancel, or to pardon. And when you hear debts, hear sin. Hear sin. So Jesus is commanding us Because the word forgive here in verse 12 is an imperative. Jesus is commanding us to pray that God God divorce us from our sin. You hear me? That God would pardon us of our sin. That God would cancel our sin debt. Jesus says you and I actually need to pray for forgiveness of our sins. Uh, I have a friend uh, in St. Louis and uh, who called me recently and told me that uh, her father is getting out of prison. Uh, this man murdered somebody um, years and years ago. And after 28 years being in prison, he's about to get out in the next several months. The system has decided your debt has been paid. You, you've paid us enough. And what Jesus is saying here is that you and I have a debt of sin that's greater than murder, and we need to pray to God that He would pardon us of our sin, that God would cancel our debt, that God would divorce us of the sin, that the sin that's even in our own hearts. First century rabbis, they believed that every sin was literally adding to a wall of debt that separated a person from God. And they were like demerits. If you did something wrong, you you got a demerit, like some of y'all's classrooms. Um, They were like demerits. So your demerits with wrongdoing would add up. So these separating demerits, they were called, get this, debts. Debts. So Jesus used something very familiar to the people in the first century that he's writing to at that time. And what Jesus is communicating is that only God can wipe away the debt that they have. Nobody else can get rid of that sin debt. It is a debt that we all have and that we all will wrestle with until Jesus returns. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 3. None of us are righteous, not even one. None of us seeks after God. None of us. And all of us are lumped into the same boat. It doesn't matter 
how much money you have. It doesn't matter what political party you are with. We are all in the same boat. None of us are righteous, not even one of us. Just think back over this last week. Think back over the sin in your life this last week. How about the last 24 hours? Do you think you are in need of forgiveness? Do you think you would be compelled to ask God, forgive me of my debt of sin? God, would you cancel, would you pardon my debt of sin? That's what Jesus is pointing us to. The reality that on our shoulders we have this burden called sin and we all need to be delivered from it. All of us. Jesus says, pray like this. Forgive us our debts. We all need forgiveness. We have unpaid debts. And the idea is that, get this, you and I cannot forgive ourselves. I want you to hear me this morning. Uh, There are some major world religions that would point you to the reality that if you pray five times a day, you can absolve yourself of debt. If you go uh, and confess your sin uh, to the priest, you'll be free from your debt of sin. And that's not what Jesus is pointing us to here. Jesus says to us, pray. And I love this because in the same way that Jesus says, pray for all the things that you need because they belong to God anyway. Jesus says, pray that you can be freed from your sin. Here it is, you cannot free yourself. There is no good work that can free you from your debt of sin. You and I need to go before the throne of grace and we need to ask one that is greater than we are for forgiveness. We can't free ourselves. We cannot pardon ourselves. The only way that Jesus would instruct us to pray is our Father. Our Father. That's how the prayer begins. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father. What does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus is not saying, in order to gain salvation, here's what you should do. That's not what Jesus is saying. So don't get it twisted. What you should not hear is, in order to be free of your debt of sin, in order to receive forgiveness, forgive others. That's not what Jesus is saying. How do I know that? The prayer begins with our Father. Jesus is writing those who have their faith in in Jesus. He is writing those who are sons and daughters of the Most High. So He's not giving us a, a precursor for being saved. Jesus is not telling us how to experience justification. He is talking to people who are already declared righteous. They have been justified. But even for the person who has been declared righteous, what do we experience? Failure. Over and over again, we experience failure, and we need to go before the throne of grace and say, forgive us. That's what Jesus is teaching us. You and I will have some failures in your life, but you can go before God's throne and say, forgive us. I love what 1 John 1.9 says. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
of all unrighteousness. And I know sometimes we use that in evangelism tactics, but this is to believers here. If we confess our sins, because there are many, and, and we fall short over and over again, even though we are declared righteous, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Um, listen to this. More than 160 million Americans have credit cards. The average credit card holder has at least three cards, and on average, each household with a credit card carries more than 15000 in credit card debt. We are overloaded. Today, the U.S. consumer debt is, get this, $11.4 trillion. We spend a lot of money. Here's what Jesus is saying. Our sin has racked up a heavy bill, and it's not something we can just pay off with a minimum monthly payment. We need one that is greater than us. We have this debt that we could never pay. And we need one to stand in our place who is greater than us. We need forgiveness. Lastly, we need to generously give forgiveness. We need to generously give forgiveness. Look at verse 14 and 15. It says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let me again say this. This is not a way to salvation. Jesus is not teaching that your salvation is dependent upon your forgiveness. Rather, He is teaching that it is a consequence that your forgiving others is a byproduct of you knowing Christ. If you are a person who walks with Jesus... What Jesus is saying here is, you will be a person who easily forgives others. See, one of the tests of every believer is that they are a person who has the ability to forgive. Why? Because they understand the enormous debt that was paid for them. The only way you can be quick to forgive and not so easily harboring anger in your own heart is if you know how much you have been Forgiven. That's what Jesus is pointing to here. See, the goal of every believer, it ought to be reconciliation. Our goal, even in church discipline, our goal is always reconciliation. It, it, it ought to be to make the relationship right. Matthew five twenty three through 24 points us in the same direction. Jesus says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, when a believer is upset, at the end of the day, she can land at making things right. And, and, and you may say, Chris, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know how I was violated. And, and, and I know people do some horrific things. But what Jesus is telling us here with no qualifications, Jesus is saying the person that is in Jesus Christ, the person that has their whole faith in Jesus, will be a person who forgives. 
that will be characteristic of them. And I would dare to say, no matter the hardship, no matter how you were wronged, and that's easier said than done, I get that. Jesus says, if you are one of my followers, you will forgive. The truly forgiven person, get this, cannot help but forgive somebody else. You, you may have gotten wronged and you, you really want to be against the person that wronged you, but the truly forgiven person, there's something about not forgiving somebody else that you cannot, you can't handle it. The truly forgiven person cannot live without forgiving somebody else. Back in 2010 in Big Island, Hawaii, um, there was a woman uh, who decided to drive uh, with three times the legal alcohol limit, uh, her blood level, three times the legal alcohol limit. She decided to get in the car, she started that thing up, and she began driving. And she drove through an intersection when she blacked out. She blacked out and she hit a mom and her one-year-old daughter head on. Mom was disfigured, um, almost beyond recognition. And this one-year-old girl, beautiful little girl, didn't make it. Obviously, court uh, proceedings happened. And there you have a dad right outside of this courtroom making comments. And he's weeping. He's got his one-year-old daughter's blanket over his shoulder. And he says, her scent is gone. I can't even smell her anymore. She's gone. He walks into the courtroom where the defendant is there after killing his one-year-old daughter. He walks into that courtroom and this woman is making a statement to the family. And she's weeping. She's broken. And you know what this dad does? He gets up from his seat after his wife's face has been disfigured by this woman and after his one-year-old daughter has been killed, he gets up out of his seat with tears in his eyes. He walks up to the center of the courtroom and he embraces this woman. And he says to her, I forgive you. I forgive you. Let me tell you, that does not happen in a believer's life unless they are tethered to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Jesus this morning is pointing us to that reality. Jesus is saying, if you are a believer, there ought to be no way that you can harbor anger in your heart. You will always land at a place of forgiveness even if you don't want to. Why? Because forgiveness has been lavished upon you. Grace has been lavished upon you. Mercy, what you did not deserve, has been lavished upon you. And what Jesus is saying to us this morning is that you and I, no matter how hard the trial, should give it away, give it away, give it away. I just got to take a deep breath. Because I'm studying this passage this week and I think about my own life and you mean to tell me that you, Jesus, are calling me to forgive my dad who has never done one thing for me. And the Spirit spoke to me 
still small voice, yes, Chris. Yes. People that have turned their backs on us, we are to forgive. And you know one of the worst things is when there is unforgiveness in the house of God. Scriptures tell us that they will know us by the fruit that we bear. They will know us based on how we love one another. How dare we harbor anger? How dare we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts towards one another? And what we see here is Jesus pointing us to the hard reality that we have to be people of forgiveness. See, the Lord's Prayer gives us this picture of the atonement. The Lord's Prayer gives us a picture of God's love and compassion for us. The reality that the God of the universe would do what Cesar Chavez did with one of his enemies, the reality that the God of the universe would do that with us, for us, his enemies that He would lay down His life to cover us, that He would shed His own blood, that He would be obedient to death, standing in our place for our sin, and that that would not be the end, but He would raise again from the dead. That is a beautiful thing. Jesus says, because of that, because of that grace and that mercy that I've lavished upon you, You have no other responsibility but to give it away to others. And so often, you and I, we tend to play the judge. And I want to tell you this morning that there is only one judge. You cannot sit on the throne. God has not deemed you to find somebody guilty. You are not the judge. And as hard as it may be, as heavy as the wrong may have been, Jesus says, what your sin and what your debt deserved is death. And that's a heavy price. Because it's not just a physical death, but it's it's an eternal separation from the Father. Jesus says, that's what you and I deserved because we were His enemies. But yet He has lavished His grace upon us. Where shall we go from here? You and I should be people of forgiveness. We should understand that forgiveness is available for us today. Maybe you have come in this place this morning and you don't know the God of forgiveness. He is not your Lord. He is not your Savior But the reality that Jesus says, pray like this, our Father, lets us know that He is available, that He is a God of forgiveness, that His table is open, that there is room for you in His house. And you can come before His throne and say, God, would you forgive me? And He will receive you today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I know that there are some people in here right now that have been struggling with unforgiveness. 
And this morning, I want you to do business with God in the quietness of your own heart. Would you talk to Him about that unforgiveness? And maybe after service, there is a person that you need to go talk to. Maybe there is a phone call that needs to be made. But God says, my people who love me and who name the name of Jesus will be people of forgiveness. Why? Because I have lavished my forgiveness upon them. Would you do business with God now? As hard as it may be to find forgiveness in your heart, think about how He has lavished forgiveness upon you. that you saw fit to step in on our behalf. You sent Jesus and Jesus left for us a comforter. We thank you this morning. Father, I pray for those that are struggling with unforgiveness. Lord, I know that it is like a cancer that will literally eat us alive. And I pray, God, that you will, that you would help us same way that we have received forgiveness, that we be people of forgiveness. Lord, no matter how hard the the struggle, no matter how tough the wrong, I pray that you would march us by your Spirit in that direction. And Lord, for those who don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you, by your hands, would free them up to know that you have forgiveness available for them today. Now, God, we pray for these offerings that we're about to receive. We pray, God, that you would receive them, or that you would multiply them. Lord, that leaders would be raised up because of them, that churches would be planted because of them, that your fame and renown would grow in Memphis, Tennessee because of these tithes and these offerings. Lord, we're so grateful for all that you've done. You are a faithful God in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's prepare to give. It's our act of worship this morning.
as we do so, let's reflect one more time on this prayer that Jesus has given us. Our Father, who art in heaven, leaders to pray with you. We would love to do that and make ourselves available for you to pray. We'll be, some of our community group leaders will be here. Some of our elders will be here up front to pray with you. Lord's Day.